What do you get when you mix makeup, shoehorning, and bad metaphors? You get a good reason to watch movies after work. Hey there, guys. It's Thomas Green. And I'm Alex Duez. And uh, 46% of the uh, the vote said that we were going to do this, so we're going to do it. We are doing Joker. Yeah. Yay. <laughs> Just, just gonna prerequisite. Just, just uh, preface right now. Mm-hmm. We hated this movie. Yeah, we found this movie to be trash. <laughs> if you are someone who thinks that this movie was magical, brilliant, a masterpiece, a game changer, any of that shit, you probably don't want to watch that or listen to this. Yeah. You probably want to go turn on something else. Yeah. Because none of those things, I believe, are going to end up getting said about this movie. <laughs> no, no, probably not. Uh, yeah. So, but first, um, apologies again for, for last week for the lack of an episode. I... Uh, tried recording in a different way than we normally do, uh, just to kind of experiment and try around with stuff, which was a terrible idea because I was having a, a horrifically bad day. Um, and yeah, all but 11 minutes of the episode went away, just disappeared into the nothingness. Yeah. Um, and at that point, I just thought, yeah, I don't have it in me to record anything else. Uh, I do intend on doing, trying to do the episode again here in the not-too-distant future, but, um, yes, I apologize for the lack of episode last week. Uh, we should be back on track now to, to bring you your weekly dose of who asked for this. But... First, because there's actually some to talk about, let's go back to our old school format and uh, let's start with some trailers. Yeah, um, we're, we're getting into like a weird, it's weird to finally have trailers again. We're getting into this weird um, indie films and streaming service films it's, are all pushing their stuff right now. Well, so Yeah, exactly. I mean... With most indie films, you'd have a, you know, you'd have a production schedule of them shooting a year ago to bring to film festivals that would be happening now, and they don't have film festivals to go to. So rather than have to follow them after the film festival circuit, and then you know finally find them on digital or when they come, you know, to a very limited release in the theaters, you know, they're they're basically going straight to straight to VOD or, or Netflix or wherever else it might be. So it's kind of, kind of beneficial in that way. It's very interesting. Very, very interesting. Um, but first we're going to start off with something that's none of those things. Um, <laughs> it's not, it, it's not indie. It's not a, it, well, it's one thing. It's not, it's not an indie. It's not a movie. It's not a film festival, darling. But it is no. streaming service, and that's yeah. the trailer for WandaVision, because we kind of we, we kind of skipped over it. And uh, for myself, the, the reason is just simply as excited as I am for this show, 
I completely forgot the trailer existed. Yeah. <laughs> I watched it and then I forgot. Yeah. No, and that's and that's not a comment on um I think either of our levels of excitement for um for WandaVision cuz you know, the longer we go without Black Widow, it's the long, you know, continues to be the longest we've ever gone with an MCU without an MCU film. Yeah. Um so at least this this gives us our fix in in one way or another. Um but you know, and and we might touch on it later when we speculate a little bit about Spider-Man uh 3 um Homeward Bound and, or whatever <laughs> whatever it might Homeschooled. be. But <laughs> that's that's a better one. I um, I'm still I'm still dreaming of that being the title. <laughs> I uh I think we're seeing the start of, you know, what could possibly possibly be like a trilogy of multiverse stories being uh, WandaVision, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, and Spider-Man 3. Um, so it's, it's interesting. I'm, I, I really, I like the aesthetic of the, um, of the show. Um, I like what we've seen so far, and I like that we haven't, we still haven't seen a lot. We still don't know how Randall, Randall Park uh, fits into this. We still don't know how Darcy fits into this. Um, it's, it's exciting. Yeah, I, I, I mean, we can speculate on theories all day, but the bottom line for me at this point is it's very clear that they aren't quite sure how to market this. Yeah. And so as a result, um, we're getting really weird trailers. Yeah. And I'm okay with that. Because, uh, as I've mentioned on the show 50 million times, my favorite director is Terry Gilliam. And there hasn't been a single movie in his career that he has made that they've had the slightest idea how to make a trailer for it to properly let you know what you're getting into. Yeah. So, it just speaks to me. (laughs) Um, But, I mean, we'll, yeah, we'll absolutely see... um, you know, the speculate the speculations and theories as we've learned on this show lead us down a, a like two hour rabbit hole. So, uh, Spider Man Far From Home is a prequel. It's going to be a prequel. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we have a we have a lot of episodes that did not age well because we wouldn't <laughs> shut up about that. <laughs> well, this episode aged like milk. The, mo- most everything that that we've done, I'm sure, is aged beautifully. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, moving on from that, uh, the, we just got the trailer for uh, Minamata, which is uh, it's the new Johnny Depp movie. Mm-hmm. And I've I've got to be honest, I've got to be completely honest. While this movie looks great, when I saw the thumbnail with how he's dressed and how his beard is and all that kind of stuff in this, my immediate thought was, I'm going to watch this, but I'm so scared to find out what ethnicity he's decided he can pull off now. (laughs) It was a relief to go, oh, he's... Just a normal guy. Okay, cool. 
yeah, breath of I, fresh uh, air. I honestly couldn't tell from the from the thumbnail um, immediately that it was that it was Johnny Depp because all I all I did was search the the title of the film and hit the first one and barely looked at the at the title. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it was. I mean, he he looks good in it. it um, I'm I'm willing to to give it a chance. It looks like a very interesting story. It looks really well shot. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, it's 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 one that definitely um, has piqued my interest. It looks good. I mean, it's Oscar baity to be sure. Oh yeah, but um, but it still looks good. Yeah, I don't know if I feel like I'll have to watch the trailer at least ten more times to get used to Bill Nye speaking with an American accent before I can actually watch him in the movie because yeah. that threw me off hard. <laughs> like I literally in my head went, "Holy fuck!" That did they dub him? <laughs> yeah. What's, what the, what's happening? Um, I, don't, I don't know why you would do that, but <laughs> yeah, I don't. Yeah, it just it threw me off because I don't think I've ever seen a movie where he wasn't using his normal voice. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So moving on from that uh, is one the uh, big one that people are talking about right now, which is uh, Mank, directed by David Fincher. Starring Gary Oldman and a plethora of other people. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it it looks like David Fincher movie. It looks weird. It looks, um, it literally looks like the concept of if you took an introvert and cracked their skull open and their thoughts poured out into a world, you got. A David Fincher movie. Uh, yeah. and this con- this continues that tradition just in black and white. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, I mean the whole the whole story surrounding the the drama and the legal battles and all that kind of stuff that surround the making of Citizen Kane are just cannon fodder for for making films about. So yeah. this movie's existence is not a surprise. That being said, I'm still fully excited to, you know, I'm very interested in this movie. Yeah. Um, I have to get Netflix again so I can watch it. But <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, like 20 per, like, the, there's like at least 10 films a week. It feels like right now that get a trailer and, and I go, Ooh, I could watch Netflix. Damn it. <laughs> so yeah no that, that looks like one worth uh worth signing back up for i mean i i definitely am interested by it i i love so many of david fincher's films um and this this looks like a, a really interesting aesthetic about a really uh a really interesting topic at the yeah at the very least i'll be doing a week trial where i'll be sitting <laughs> In the living room with the door shut, ignoring my wife and daughter. <laughs> Just to get caught up on all the Netflix movies. Um, and then finally... Uh, finally we have Fat Man. <laughs> For the love of God, Fat Man. Um, this looks interesting. This, 
this film worries me. One, because it's Mel Gibson. Um, but this film worries me because it looks like something something like The Man Who Killed uh, Hitler and then Bigfoot. Like, a film that has an interesting enough trailer or an interesting enough premise and then just is horrible in execution. The movie makes me sad because Walter Goggins is in it. Yeah. And he's better than this. Yeah. And I don't blame him. I blame Hollywood for not understanding that fact. (laughs) But I'm also not surprised that, you know, we've got a movie starring Mel Gibson where he plays a slightly deranged, angry, violent guy who feels underappreciated, who, as on general principle, is not in the same boat as Jews. Oh, jeez. I mean, if we're... If, hey, if we're gonna let him come back to Hollywood, I think it's important that we don't let him forget why he shouldn't have come back in the first place. Yeah. No, that's, that's fair. But... Yeah, it's it's weird to me that somebody would have watched the most recent Rambo and thought, what if this was Santa Claus? <laughs> yeah, that does, I do kind of get that vibe. <laughs> yeah. It, it's literally, like, I feel like the movie is going to end with the reveal that this has all been a story Clint Eastwood has been telling his grandchildren out of a an NRA Christmas Carol book. <laughs> That's the only way it can end now, and if it ends any other way, it'll be a failure of a film. Yes. Oh, and because it's Clint Eastwood, he's we show him finishing this story, and then we cut to the bed, and the bed is empty. <laughs> Let's just, I mean... You know, if, if, if we're going to live in an era of beating a dead horse, let's, you know, let's beat that damn dead horse. Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay, so that was, that was all I questioned, that was all I probably shouldn't have said uh, about <laughs> that trailer. Which means it's time to go from one disappointment to another. It's time to talk about Joker. <laughs> After you, sir. I... The first and foremost thing that I want to say about this movie is I don't believe for a second that the script was originally written as a Joker from the Batman comic books movie. Yeah. Yeah. There is no reason to to honestly believe that it wasn't shoehorned in to give it a better market appeal. Yeah. Um, part of the reason I believe that is because the original ending was apparently Joaquin Phoenix's Joker killing 
Thomas and Martha Wayne and then killing Bruce Wayne. Mm-hmm. Originally, he killed the all three of them. Yeah. So the fact, like, I I have an almost impossible time believing that somebody wrote this script from the get go as a Batman Origins style movie. Yeah. Because we basically now have. Assuming that this Joker or that this ba- this Bruce Wayne grows up to be Batman and fights the Joker, who's now seventy years old, yeah, he's fighting a sixty. <laughs> it's it's a twenty to thirty year old man fighting a sixty to seventy year old man, yeah, with who's really just has some mental health issues, yeah, <laughs> and is not really competent in any other capacity. Yeah, which is just pathetic. If that's yeah. how, if that's the kind of battle that you're you're pitching, well, uh, there there's a lot of thoughts I have on this film, but this film has so many mixed messages, and like you said, he's he's the the film wants to portray him as just a guy with some me- with some mental health issues but it's it's the classic like oh be nice to people who are, who are depressed or have mental health, health issues because they could be a danger otherwise yep. not because it's a, not because the the right thing to do not because they legitimately need help because otherwise they could be a threat to you yeah in your safety like that is one of the biggest issues that I have with this film is people who their their mental health issues are so prevalent in you know today yeah. like so many people deal with mental health issues on large scales and small scales and I don't understand with how I'm, I'm using sensitive in a in a uh, a positive light. I don't understand with how sensitive our, our society is now to other people, people's experiences, people's, you know, uh, perspectives and, and what they what they are going through, how this film grossed as much as it did. We, you could debate all day long whether or not this film is good, whether or not this film has merit, whether or not this film is entertaining or enjoyable. But the fact that it, it seemingly spoke to so many people that it grossed over, am I correct, it grossed over a billion dollars? It did. I I sincerely don't know how it spoke to such a large group of people, or how so many people, you know, this is not a film that I ever care to, to revisit. Like, you and I are both, you know, talking about this film from memory, because, like, I, I did not want to go back and watch it last night, or this week. When, when you put out this poll, yeah. I have no, I have no desire whatsoever to go back and watch it. So how it grossed so much in the box office is beyond me. Um, but I just don't understand how it, it isn't, it's just an incredibly insensitive film. I, 
I here's one. The movie would not have done as as much money as it did mm-hmm. if there had not been so much. It's going to be the end of the world mentality attached to it. Yeah. If if people had just gone, yeah, it's another one of these movies that condemns being having mental health issues and glorifies being violent as a way to get what you want. You know. Yeah. If if people had talked the way they should have, which is going saying, yeah, it has all that stuff. Yawn. Yeah. Like another bl- another boring movie doing the same stupid shit. Yeah. Um, and it's like it. It was the controversy mixed around it, and honestly, I think a lot of the people going to like a lot of the going to see it around the world. I legitimately think that was just based off of people going and watching the movie and thinking, is this the state of America right now? <laughs> like, yeah, it was, yeah. it was weirdly a perfect way. It's the movie is a perfect encapsulation of the lows that we have as a society have gotten to in America. Yeah. Um, cause yeah, the, there are only two, I mean, there's two female characters in this movie. One is an old woman who we basically reveal to be a whore and then kill her for being one. Yeah. And then the other one literally just exists to be lusted after by our yeah. main character. It's the only yeah. reason the women exist in this movie. Beyond that, they serve no purpose. Yeah. Um, and we literally have a character who is a midget, basically just so we can do one joke with a door with him yeah. at one point in the movie. Instead of just treating him like a normal, like either treating him like a normal person or not just casting someone like that just because... Yeah. Um, we we cast him and then have to make a bit about it for no good reason. Yeah. Like we literally like I like I remember that point in the movie. Like all the tension has has completely evaporated at that point in the yeah. in the apartment, and Joaquin Phoenix's character goes into character D that he plays of the like four character different characters that he plays in this movie um and casually gets up if I remember correctly he puts the gun in his pants so it's not even like you th- honestly think he's going to go up and hurt this guy there's no tension anymore you're yeah. literally just making a joke to point and laugh at this guy yeah um it it, it feels like it's in I, I'm I don't think the period pieces are ever going to go away by any means, but I think this, hey, let's, let's circumvent the, the rules or, or popular culture now or political correctness by making this a period piece so that we can, you know, use terms that may be off- offensive, but weren't yeah. offensive, you know, a couple decades ago. Like that, that people are going to start seeing through that real fast if they haven't already. Well, like, that's uh, like, 
I'm, so, I'm sorry, but that's why Quentin Tarantino doesn't do movies set in the present anymore. <laughs> because Quentin Tarantino loves to use racial slurs, mm-hmm. and he knows he doesn't really have a re- an excuse to do it anymore. Yeah. Like, he does period pieces so he can be offensive. Yeah. Because he enjoys it. Because he likes to use that kind of language. Yeah. Not for any sort of correctness to the movie. But steering back to this, yeah, it's just like it's I mean, the beyond beyond just the, the cliche of having like the period appropriate logo at the beginning, I mean this this movie literally starts with you having to sit there and go, wait, so if a music store is having a clo- has is having a closing sale and needs a sign twirler. Why did it have to be a clown twirling yeah. the sign? Like right out the gate, we are forcing this imagery. Yeah, we are we are giving it a completely inorganic forcing to try to get to our goal. Yeah. Um, I, I just, there's, this, this film didn't, there's a, there's my problem with this film and my problem with people's perception of this film being, you know, groundbreaking. There's very little that is original in this film, if anything. And the things that it is taking liberties with in using the IP makes it, let, makes it less interesting, not more interesting. Yep. Like, n- nothing about this makes me want to see a follow-up with this Joker or this Batman because we 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 get it. You know, it's towards the end of the film, of course. But yet again, we're we're doing the the Batman origin that we've all seen a hundred times. Yep. All you needed to do was to have the Waynes and and, and you know and little you know young Bruce walk down the the alley and have someone walk down the alley behind them. There's no reason we needed to see any encounter in the in the alleyway. And what irritates me even more is that's one of the biggest hang-ups that I personally have with Tim Burton's uh Batman film. Like it makes no sense that Joker is uh you know the the Wayne's the killer. The, um like Joe Schill is the perfect, like, it's just a random act of violence. And that is what incites this, you know, incites this person to want to rise up and make sure that nobody else has to go through this and nobody else is, is taken like this. And I just hate the, the Joker is so evil. He killed Batman's parents before Batman was Batman mentality. Like it, because although it wasn't Arthur Fleck in this film, it is still someone spurred on by his, you know, movement. Yeah. I mean, you're you're arguing that we only need to elude that it's going to happen and we know it's going to I To me, it just doesn't need to happen at all. Well, well yeah, that too. Like, I mean, I the, think... There's, and there's just too much going on up till that point yeah they to, to, like as a parent if i'm living in a city that's really kind of a shithole 
Yeah. And there are news reports about people, like, you know, cops being assaulted on the subway, and so many people are, like, joy, you know, like, symbolically following this guy who murdered um, Wall Street guys. Yeah. Um, or Gotham's version of Wall Street, but murdering Wall Street guys, and I'm a rich person, um, my response is not, hey, let's go into the heart of that shithole part of town to go see a movie. Yeah. The stupidity of putting them there just to service the Batman tie-in is just, it's insanely self-serving. Yeah. And it plays like nothing about this movie is is honestly organic. Yeah. This movie is perpetually unrealistically just absurdist. <laughs> like we have people constantly it's I mean it's 2 hours of people being illogically nasty to Fleck. Yeah. But we with the exception of um, up and up until the uprising, with the exception of the Wall Street guys in the subway car, we don't see anyone be mean to anyone else. Not really. Yeah. yeah. Not not in a, not in a consistent enough way that suggests that this is the way the world is. It just seems like he constantly bumps into people who feel like being mean to him. Yeah. Like having the woman on the bus. Who's got the kid, like, I'm sorry, there is no part of me that believes that that woman is hearing her kid laughing and is thinking that anything bad is happening to her kid. Yeah. They, it's just not, they, if my, like, if my daughter is laughing and I see that this stranger is clearly not that close to them. Yeah. I'm not going to start telling off the the stranger. Yeah. Like, it doesn't make any sense for me to do that to them. Yeah. But... I, there's... You know, again, there's, there's aspects of this film being a period piece that make no sense. And I, I think that you can explain away like, Oh, the Waynes didn't know about what was going on because they were in the movie and they, nobody, you know, nobody has cell phones at this point, but like, then why? I mean, the, the, the biggest, like a logical fallacy of this entire film is somebody recording this comedian on stage while he's bombing. Like, this is not even the, the age of America's Funniest Home Videos. Yeah. There's no reason why they would film a person bombing on stage to then play on a late-night television show. Either you're a period piece or you're fucking on, on Jimmy Fallon or Jimmy Kimmel. You can't have it both ways. Well, that's like, the, if you, like, if you want to say it's the, the, the place recording comedians and they, like, and they record the shows that happen there... That's fine, but it was yeah, it was definitely a someone sitting at sitting watching the show, not the establishment recording it sort yeah. of thing. Um, I mean, there's just 
and there's so many. My my biggest, uh, you know, I feel a little scatterbrained talking about this film. One because I I you know honestly haven't seen it in a while, but two because it just you know there's there's parts that really rile me up, but the ending of the film, the third act feels so messy. It feels just incredibly rushed and and it doesn't it, it feels just cheap in so many ways but either the joker is the villain of this story or he's the hero yeah like again you can't have it both ways yeah. i don't understand if he's the joker he should be the villain and if he's the villain he should be you know not legally but like he should be prosecuted by the end of it that you know he should like he should feel the weight and the consequences of his actions, but he's celebrated at, at the end of the film like he's a hero. And people have, you know, some people justify the ending by saying that, you know, oh, I, they think it's a dream sequence, or it might be this, or it might be that. I think if there's one thing this film does actually pretty well, it's explaining to the audience when it's a dream and when it, when it's in his head and when it's reality. At least when they wanna when they wanna make that break, like. You know, they they play up his his supposed relationship with his neighbor, but once they explain it to you that it's all in his head, there's no more there's no more fiction. From that point on, there's nothing else in his head. Everything on screen is is should be taken at face value. So him being celebrated in the streets, I'm supposed to believe is reality, and mm-hmm. I just don't understand how this is where we ended up at the end of the film. Like it. Story-wise, it doesn't make any sense. Character-wise, it doesn't make any sense. And like, I just, I just don't get it. Well, the other thing, like, he is. Like, it's it's not even like one. Yes, the besides the the fantasizing about the neighbor stuff, which. Never is fully committed to, and then they try to make it a big shocking reveal. Um, we don't establish a a we don't establish with him uh, hallucinations of grandeur outside of t- the people laughing and enjoying his stand up routine that he then finds out nobody enjoyed. Yeah, but. That sequence is very different than the end of the movie. So I yeah. agree. There is no, this is all really happening. And I would say what's worse is that we're not talking about the audience, we're not talking about the people in the, the movie rooting for him. By the end of the movie, they've committed, in the third act, they've fully committed, after being unsure in the first two acts, they've fully committed we want you to root for him like he's the hero. Yeah. They, they, like, that's, it's clear, that's what they want. Yeah. Um, And it's just, like, the movie yo-yos between stupid little things that are unbelievable to big things. So you get the big things like, um, we talked about with the, like, the inconsistencies in, um, technology and com- you know, like the the videotaping at that to yeah. small like I call it stupid, call it pointless. 
But when you have some jockey, like when you have some frat boyish Wall Street kid singing Send in the Clowns perfectly, <laughs> you immediately lose me. Yeah. Like, I have never met a person like that that could just randomly start singing show tunes. Yeah. Like, that kind of shit just does not exist. And, the, I mean, at the end of the day, honestly, this movie on a whole, there are, for being a period piece, there are shitty hipster comedies and rom-coms that pull from this time period musically than this movie used. Mm-hmm. This movie did a terrible job using the music from the era. Um, yeah. And I'm sorry, I know this is like the thing that people act, I want to dive in the t- into the two things that people quote unquote universally agree upon. Uh, first, the score. Um, outside of the interview on the talk show in the third act, at no point did I feel like the score and the movie were communicating with each other. They, it, like I, it kind of felt like either she was given the scenes out of order, composed the, composed the score, and then they put it back in the right order, and she never knew. Yeah. Or they had her just compose a score, and then they filmed the movie. Yeah. Um, like it's the score never fully clicks for me because I'm constant, you know, it's constantly trying to tell me things that on screen are being, are, you know, it's a completely different story or makes no sense for it to, to have that attitude or it's suddenly gone quiet at a point in time where it would be really handy to have a score that's, you know, like underlying something that's going on. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it just, what are your thoughts on the score before I get to the second? Yeah, um, you know, honestly, the score, is, and unless it's exceptional, it's usually not, not something that I pay too close attention to. Um, so it's not something that I can speak to necessarily. But yeah, there there was nothing that that jumped out to me that to say that this was this was incredible or or that it was you know truly abysmal. Um, but what was what was your second? My second is I don't understand why people act like Joaquin Phoenix did anything new compared to the rest of his career. Mm. This character was basically, if you took the phys- like everything physicality-wise, he had done in Inherent Vice. Everything yeah. personality-wise, he had done in Her. Yeah. And more, like, and I'm, there are other movies that you could cite as well in this, but those are the two that I immediately thought of while I was watching this. The, this was not like you gave me, you know, you're trying to make this movie that's supposed to at least on some level be about the horror of the transformation into the Joker. Yeah. And then you gave me an actor who the whole movie I'm watching it going, yeah, I can like 
I can kind of see it, and he's kind of already there. Yeah. Instead of, like, not this extreme, but give me someone like Tom Hanks. And again, not this extreme, because I don't necessarily think he's right for the role. Yeah. Um, but give me someone who doesn't normally do this kind of stuff. Yeah. Like, it was, an, it was another, it was... That it was another Joker, like with Heath Ledger's Joker, where every single time people were just like, oh, this is unlike anything he's ever done. My immediate thought was, I need to know how many of his films you've actually watched, because I don't feel like you'd say that if you'd actually watched his films. Yeah. Um, we need to stop, you know, we need to stop rewarding um, male actors for putting on or losing ridiculous amounts of weight for characters and the constant shirtlessness in this movie to me just screamed look how much weight I lost nominate me nominate me please um the the whole um the whole refrigerator thing was just one of the most stupid means nothing. We're literally just doing this to try to make you go, wow, he's so in the scene. Yeah. But it was meaningless. Yeah. It was meaningless. And it just was like, okay, well you better show that he's not in there in the morning or else he's dead and the movie's over. (laughs) But even just beyond like that little basis of all that, it was just like, this like it was that and then the dancing were things that I was like, you have not fully and properly if you're if you're gonna commit to the concept that everything that's wrong with him is a mental health issue and that mental health is to be blamed for everything that this guy does, um, even if you're gonna go that disgusting route. Yeah. Um you still have to actually establish things to at least some extent. Yeah. And so then we, you know, we get the dancing and we get the, the, the refrigerator and and stuff like that. And I'm just sitting there going, this is meaningless. This is empty. This is, this is showboating for the Academy. Yeah. It's all I'm feeling. Uh, I also really, didn't care for for the uh, like I said the the third act for me you know it's not it's not great when um, when he finally goes on on camera um, with Robert De Niro mm-hmm. I mean like this scene would be effective if the actor portraying the Joker was menacing if I was afraid of this person but we've seen. We've 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 been with this character now for two hours, and at no point does he seem menacing. He seems deranged. He seems, you know, unstable. But like to to actually see this person on the street, I would never be afraid of this person. And he speak he, he's speaking so strangely. He's it's like almost effeminate. It's like. And then just the, I mean, this, this movie spawned just countless memes that are far more entertaining than the actual film itself. (laughs) Yes. It's just like, 
that I mean it's cringeworthy you know what he um what he says to Robert De Niro about you know what what does someone get when they cross a a, a guy who um they get what they the, fucking deserve that whole yeah I mean that is just I don't know who that's supposed to be speaking to I don't want to meet this person who says yep that's I feel that I feel that deep down like. Are you are you saying that everyone, you know, either either you don't accept mental health for what it what it is and how it should be treated, or you're you know you're this you're the snowflake who should walk through life and think that everyone should be you uh, should always be nice to them, uh, otherwise they'll get what they deserve because mm-hmm. I'm unstable and i'm unhinged like i don't know it's just it's so conflicting it's not so for for me that big final sequence um first of all my my just to just to kind of take a, a a quick veering away when he kisses the woman that's yeah. the the other woman the, the, like the woman that's there as as the other guest yeah that moment is fantastic I like that moment happened and I was like that's that should have been your starting point for how you did this entire movie yeah because that I was like that moment just was fantastic but (laughs) no that whole sequence just reflects the inconsistency of of both the character and and just what they were doing in general because there really isn't a coherent um, paced journey from living one of his dreams finally and getting to come on the show. Yeah. You know, we we don't really get to like the journey from that to justifying killing this guy when so far you've only killed people that were physically hurting you. Yeah. Um the, that journey does not exist in this yeah. movie, um, which is crazy. It is crazy to me that that journey does not fully and properly exist. And it also, and part of this, I'm honestly, I'm really glad that I saw this movie once it was on HBO Max. That's you know, that's when I finally saw this movie. And I'm so glad that I saw it then because I saw, because listening to his rant and his bitching and moaning that he does when he's sitting there. Yeah. Like I'm sitting there watching it and I was just like, I literally wrote, I wrote down in my notes, I literally wrote, holy shit, this rant is just Todd's I can't be funny anymore bit. Like yeah. the movie, like this movie, the only allegory that this movie is is that this movie is an allegory for what Todd Phillips considers his white man's burden of comedy. Yeah. Of like what he's you know like I'm not allowed to you know I'm not allowed to be this kind of funny anymore. I'm not allowed to do this or that anymore. And like, boo fucking who? Yeah. There's a the, like at the end of the day. I I still love the fact that this movie 
lost screenplay, director, and picture to comedies at the Oscars. Yeah. <laughs> like, and here's the, like, and that's, like, and that's another important point for people to realize. Like, I don't agree with the existence of the Oscars in a lot of ways, but they determine a lot of things. Hurt Locker beating Avatar slowed down the um, slowed down the 3D boom. Yeah. To the point where it's basically dead now. Yeah. Um, but it also opened up a whole new world of what the indie market could be. Um, distributors and theaters would not give movies from like A24 before they got really big a chance if not for the fact that Hurt Locker the lowest grossing movie nominated for Best Picture that year hadn't won yeah Um, any momentum this movie had died at the Oscars yeah not because because it lost the Oscars but because of who it lost the Oscars to yeah and, and that's another point I was going to bring up. You know, we we thought about talking about this film when it came out. We thought about talking about this film um, shortly before, uh, or, or maybe it was shortly after, around the time that the Black Lives Matter uh, movements were really starting up um, this year after the killing of George Floyd. And we thought that obviously it was the worst possible time to yes. um, talk about a film like this. But... Any momentum that this film had, any buzz that this film had, lived and died in theaters. You don't hear a single person say a word about this film anymore. And it's because, you know, after it's all said and done, after um, there was no shootings in any theaters, after there was, you know, no no big life-changing event in, in regards to this film, nobody had a thing to say about it. Yeah, because and, the film didn't have a thing to say to begin with. Yeah, and I I, I want to stop you really quick um, because I know it's not what you're saying, but I want to make sure that we're very clear on something really quick here. I, did, I, did, I was not hoping for Matt, for shootings in theaters. No, 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 <laughs> I, that's not what I'm suggesting. Okay. But um, everyone who every, all the people that sat around going, you know, go, complaining, claiming. There wasn't an existence of an issue of issues of violence or anything of that nature. Um, was they like they were not women on Twitter having to deal with the way people spoke? Yeah. So yeah, I think it's I think it's really important that we not um, we in the royal sense, not just the two of us. Yeah. That we not minimize that those concerns about physical violence were coming from a place of really dealing with the toxic behavior of people online. Well, the toxic behavior of men online towards women, especially, that were not excited for this movie. Yeah, yeah. there, There was some extreme toxic masculinity that was, you know, present around this film. And, you know, for, for me, you know, a straight white man, like I didn't feel, you know, certainly not now because again, so much of the hype around this film has 
completely died. Um, you know, it's yep. it's been been dead. Nobody cares about it anymore. Yeah. But you know, we had no problem. You know, even before long before this film came out, saying that we weren't inter- interested in this film, we weren't interested to see it. We probably we thought that it was probably going to be bad, um, and that it wasn't going to have much to say. And to my knowledge, you know, I don't go on Twitter much, but we never had anything directed towards us, you know, really. And, you know, we don't have the biggest platform in the world, but there were plenty of people who did not have the luxury to just nonchalantly say they were not interested in this film without fear of being harassed and DM'd and, you know, being told that somebody's going to do terrible shit to them simply for not being interested in a film. Yeah, this, so, yeah, I mean, that was the big major difference, um, but yeah, I just, I I wanted to make sure to clarify that with what you were saying, because I knew you weren't saying that, Yeah. so I I just wanted to make sure that it was, yeah, yeah, no, thank Um, you, I I do appreciate that, (laughs) but, um, I just, I real real quick, one of the other things I want to talk about, I'm going to talk just as quickly as the movie gave to care for it, the cop subplot. Um, <laughs> pointless. Waste of good actor. Yeah. There. I've given it as much attention as the movie did. Um, <laughs> now, the the whole transformation of him into Joker. Yeah. Um, one, it's super underwhelming. Yeah. It's just kind of there and done. And that's even before you factor in the they decided to market the hell out of the finished look. Yeah. Which probably played in their favor just because the final look is not anything special. Yeah. There's nothing about that final look that made, that made me just go like, wow, that's, God, that looks great. Or, wow, this is like a whole new take or something. No, it just... Dude in clown makeup and green hair. Okay. Like, it literally, literally, they went for a Joker look that anyone can take 10 minutes to make themselves. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, honestly, that might have, you know, I'm, I'm probably giving the film credit here where it's not due, but, you know, that might have been part of the symbolism to make something so simple that it could be you know, it could be aped by so many people. Um, you know, I certainly don't think that they would discourage people from cosplaying as this Arthur Fleck Joker character um, to, you know, hype up the film or, or get marketing or, or appeal around it. Oh, I don't, um, I don't doubt for one second that the entire base of the design of Joker in this movie was let's design Joker that's really easy for anybody to do for Halloween, so that way jo- this Joker design can be the number one Halloween costume this year to help keep the buzz going. That's yeah. 100% the baseline yeah. of this Joker design. But um, it, it ultimately, you know, obviously makes for a really inter- um, uninteresting design. Um, I, you know, I think the, the there's, there's a lot of issues with with this but like i said i just don't think they took this film into an interesting area and i don't think that you know if you want to call this this film dark and gritty or realistic or or it's striving for realism or whatever i just one i think 
Chris Nolan killed and he, he killed and buried realism for everyone ever. Like there's nothing interesting that you can do anymore because it's all been done. And when it comes, when it comes to Batman, you know, he's made, he made three films and then Zack Snyder continued the tradition and made a man of steel film that was grounded and, and, you know, steeped in realism and, in in sort of dark and gritty. And no one gives a fuck about dark and gritty anymore. I mean, I, I could be, I could be speaking for myself. I could be totally out on on an island here, but I think the way that people react to the Harley Quinn show on HBO Max and Doom Patrol and things that are far more lighthearted and far more interesting in, you know, that take a satirical um, sort of approach to this material, people respond to much, much better and are much more entertained by that, by it. Well, I, I just, I would point out to people, like, because people always talk about that kind of, and it's just like, literally my reaction to that at this point has gone, you can say you want gritty and realistic all you want, but there's a reason Eeyore is not the star of Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> there's a fucking reason yeah. for that, because yeah. it's not compelling. There are no stakes for someone who's mopey and has a fuck everything attitude. Yeah. That person does not have stakes. That's what, I mean, that's part of it with Batman v Superman. That Superman has a, I should just quit anyway, attitude the entire movie. So he has no stakes. Like, his attitude throughout the whole movie is, his whole attitude throughout that whole movie is, eh, I just like Lois. Yeah. I just like Lois. That's all I, that's all I care about. So he has no stakes at all in that movie. Um, But, no, the, I... I will argue, and if someone wants me to have to have me on their show to literally argue this, I will happily do it. A, if you want a realistic movie, you don't go to you don't go to a single film that Chris Nolan has ever written. You want a movie more realistic than all of his films combined? Ghostbusters. Now, hear me out. Yeah. No, no, no. I, like, I know. I know. I I feel like I know where you're going. Go ahead. Like. By the time you get to Slimer in the ballroom, what have you gone through? You've gone through them getting fired, getting a mortgage, honey. You've gone through them doing all of this realistic stuff that you would have to do to get to the crazy stuff. So that way, by the time the crazy stuff finally actually happens in full... And is 100% at that point real. And there's no question that it might be fake. Yeah. Like, because the stuff happens with the librarian, yes. But there's an, there is an air of this could still be fake. By the time you get to Slimer, you know everything's real. Yeah. But at that point, they've laid the groundwork of real is of a real world that these people live in. That when the fantastic happens, it's 100% believable. Yeah, and Chris Nolan has never made an effort to do that with a single film he's ever done, and has passed that along to movies like everything Zack Snyder's done with DC, and then this movie. It's a continuation of this belief that if you just pretend, if you cut out the things that you personally consider silly, is an improvement into making something realistic. Yeah. I, I don't know if there's a if there's a specific 
video or like article or anything that you could point to. But I, yes, I've, I've heard that about Ghostbusters before. And, you know, it's, it's building a house. You have to have the foundation. You have to travel, you have to travel with your characters before anything supernatural happens. Mm -hmm. Yes. We, you, you relate to them because you see them dealing with, with very human problems. There's nothing extraordinary about their problems. They lose their job. It's very mundane. It's it's things that you can relate to, the things that have happened to you personally mm. or things you've seen other people go through. Yeah. And then fantastical things start happening. Yeah. Like, and that's something that this, this film doesn't achieve because already we're in a period piece where this guy is dressed as a clown spinning a sign for a, for a music store that's going out of business because we can't simply have this be a modern day film like set in modern day where this person has multiple jobs because then you can't encapsulate everything. You can't encapsulate him being ridiculed because he's in clown makeup while he's doing this menial job. Like again, I just, the, the period piece aspect of this film doesn't work for me. The fact that it's a Batman film, it doesn't utilize it correctly. It's there's, there's little to no realism or, you know, any, any of that to, to this film. So yeah. it's just, it's just frustrating. Well, <laughs> so, and it, I mean, and it's, it's, it's con like, I, I'm, I'm looking through my notes to see if there's anything else that I really miss that I, that I want to point out in the ridiculousness. Um, but I mean, this, this movie is really, really horribly written in yeah. so many ways. Um, the whole interacting with Bruce Wayne through the gate, like, yeah, strange guy goes and grabs your face to force it into a smile. Unless you're giggling from the get go because he's silly, you're not just standing there taking it. No. Um, but you literally get like you get the whole point where he goes to the the hospital to get his mom's file after he's been sent there by Thomas Wayne who again incredibly nasty and mean to him for no yeah. reason even yeah. after he realizes oh this poor guy has lived a lie and has lived probably an abusive life because of a mother that I know and I know how she can be instead of at that point having some sympathy to him trying yeah. to speak calmly with him yeah. you know trying to work like tr just trying to be a, a good person to him he just it goes uh, it continues to be out of his way to be a bastard to him but yeah. no he goes to the hospital to to try to figure it out and you get this like orderly or whatever this guy is who's sitting there reading basically the whole fucking file <laughs> and then no you can't have the file it's confidential you just read everything in the file to him yeah. you might as well give it to him because you've told him everything <laughs> like there's there, there's basically nothing left and then thank goodness this place has no security for this guy to call to say hey a guy just ran away with a, a patient folder um, make sure he doesn't get out the front door yeah. Thank goodness that. Get the, so glad that that didn't exist in this universe because that could have just destroyed that entirely pointless aspect of the movie too. Yeah. Like, I I get with the mom stuff that part of it is to to essentially strip 
the people that he can trust away from him. Yeah. But literally, it's, you lied about my dad. Yeah. Who well, you I, didn't even tell me about until recently. Because yeah. I looked. Yeah. And I, I don't think, again, I don't think that is a, sur- that is, it services the story, yes. But it also services the fanboys who, God forbid, we give Joker a backstory. God forbid we give him a... Um, you know, secret identity. And like, I don't, I don't necessarily want that. I think Joker's anonymity makes him interesting and compelling, but I also think it's not a bad thing to try to make an origin story. If this is going to be an Elseworlds sort of tale where, you know, the Joker is already in his thirties while, you know, Bruce Wayne is a young boy, then make an Elseworlds, uh, an Elseworlds tale. Like, he can have a backstory. He can have a, an origin. He can have a name. He could, like, you know what would be more compelling? Is if he died at the end of this film. Because that yep. would be the only, that would be the only justify, like, justifiable action in this film. Is, you know, we don't even see what happens to the Waynes. We can maybe, you know, assume something. But for the Joker to be killed, that would be justice to the story. That would be justice to the character. Mm-hmm. And it would actually make this film have something to say that you don't go you don't get to go around and be an asshole and be you know malicious and be an unhinged you know killer and then be celebrated in the streets well, yeah. that that's that says nothing well yeah because if your whole thing about the movie is transform you know transforming him transforming him transforming him and then final scene he's sitting there without the clown makeup on and it doesn't even look like his hair's all that green anymore. Mm-hmm. Like you're completely undercutting any claim of development into the Joker that you've done. I don't care if mentally he's starting to get there. The fact yeah. that he is not committed or else at this point yeah. is is just ridiculous. Um any any do you have any final thoughts that you want to put into this film? Uh, I think about it. I think I talked about this film enough already. <laughs> yeah, I think. Um, I th- I, go ahead. It's not a film I care to care to revisit. Um, you know, maybe maybe if we ever decide to fix a franchise and, and somehow this is included in in some way, shape, or form. But uh, I mean, otherwise, it's. You know, and and Joaquin Phoenix is is a terrific actor. He's he's an actor that I absolutely adore. Um, there, like you said, there's nothing new that he did in this film that he hasn't done in other films and done better in other films. Uh, you know, I I love Walk the Line. I love her. You know, the, he's he's done incredible films. You know, and again, he's done films that people think are really great and compelling that I didn't you know, personally drive with. I didn't love Inherent Vice. It was fine, but I don't care to see it again. I didn't love The Master. Again, I thought it was fine, but Philip Seymour Hoffman has been better in other things, and so has Walking Phoenix. Um, but, I mean, this just isn't a performance I care to go back to. This isn't a story I care to go back to. It's just um, it's one that could be left on the shelf. Yeah. I. I mean... Yeah, I don't think there's much um, much left for us to say. We, we both, like, yeah, Kissing the Old Woman is my only positive on this film. Um, beyond that, I got nothing. 
<laughs> um, so yeah, let's let's do let's do some really quick pseudo news talk. Um, let's just talk a little bit about um, we've got we've gotten lots of of rumors towards yeah. the ca- towards who is or isn't going to be in Spider-Man 3. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> um at this point we can't even get the fir- the next movie out. You're not going to make me care about any movies after that. Yeah. So yeah, you can't get me to care on that front. Um <laughs> If these people, if the, I mean, like, if some of these people are in the movie, that's fine. But, I mean, if you're gonna tell me that a not popular villain from probably the second or most disliked Spider-Man movie ever is what's is going the, what's to be the in first it, first most disliked. If this is not the first, hmm. What's the first? What's the most disliked film? If this is not the most disliked if, film, if, if we're not, if 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 bringing the villains from Amazing Spider-Man two, like the only way to up that is to go, oh, and we're bringing Topher Grace's Venom back too. <laughs> I mean, I never in a million years think that would ever happen. I mean, obviously, neither do you. But I don't know. I like with all these because. I don't know. I, I don't know how much of this is true. I don't know how much of this is complete bullshit. Because at this point, we've got Jamie Foxx, rumors of Jamie Foxx, uh, Kirsten Dunst, and Dane DeHaan all reprising their roles from their Spider-Man movies in this one. Really? I did, you see, I didn't see Dane DeHaan. And I didn't see uh, Kirsten Dunst. Yeah, see, that's um, the thing is that it's this c- crazy rumor mill where everyone's yeah. just basically throwing names, and it's all because we got uh, J.K. Simmons back yeah. as J. Jonah Jameson. Well, I do. I Jamie Fox, I think, is a is a is a real deal. I think that's I think that's um, done and done because he's all he's already come out. Um, and said it, he's going to be in it. He's not going to be the blue version that you know everyone adored from Amazing Spider-Man Two. Uh, but Amazing Spider-Man Two is my absolute least favorite Spider-Man film. It might be one of my least favorite superhero films. Period. Um, but that being said, I think Jamie Foxx is a fine actor. Um, I think he was great in uh, Baby Driver. Um, I think he's been good in a lot of projects, so I don't see any reason to discredit him. I, I do feel like this is a weird, like, he got some weird monkey paw wish where he was like, I really want to be in the MCU. And Kevin Feige was like, you want to be in the MCU? Really? All right, be Electro again. Let's see how that turns out. Like, it's just... It seems like the strangest series of events. Well, that's the thing is that like I, I still just can't bring myself to believe this is true because one, if he's not going to be the version he was in Amazing Spider-Man, then it's not this multiverse theory. Yeah, it makes no sense. That like that makes no sense. Two, Kevin Feige and the writers and the director of the Spider-Man movies have said that they don't want to use any villains that have been used in previous Spider-Man movies, that there are enough villains out there that haven't gotten used that they'd rather focus on them. 
So to bring Electro makes less than no sense to me. Well, I think Electro is actually a, a pretty good... I don't, I don't think it's a bad choice because, one, I don't think Amazing the, the first Amazing Spider-Man film is garbage. It's bad, but it's not, it's not Amazing Spider-Man 2. I think they could still sort of be true to them wanting to not use characters that have been used in, fil- in films before because Electro and the Rhino were used so poorly in um, Amazing Spider-Man 2. I think they could really do them justice. And, I mean, I think however, however it works out, you know, I have, I have faith in the MCU. It, this does feel strange to be theorizing about this since we're not even going to fucking see Black Widow until February, and that just breaks my heart to say out loud. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, we, we have quite we're we're quite a ways away from this and i'll be interested to see you know every every piece of gossip and concept art and everything else that comes out for this yeah well and the other thing for me is that we literally and i mentioned this on twitter we literally just got marvel themselves announcing things like um this young actress who's going to be playing miss marvel which i'm i'm that has me really excited um and then my girl Tatiana Mislani finally coming into the MCU as uh, as She Hulk. You know, we've, yeah. we've gotten proper official announcements for this. Why are we not getting any proper official announcements for any of the rest of this stuff? Yeah, like we're not getting any proper official announce. Like Jamie Fox could be saying that, um, but it's almost it's almost comedically sounds like he's just copying and pasting what. Will Smith said when he was announced as the genie, um, or when that first <laughs> teaser came out that only showed him as blue. Um, yeah. it almost sounds like he's just parroting that. Um, yeah. but you know, that or any of these other returns or, um, today with the saying that Dr. Strange is going to be in the movie to play, um, play Spider-Man's new mentor, which doesn't make sense on multiple levels. Um, you know, it. it I mean, the only all, the only way it makes sense to me is if they are somehow, you know, traveling through, or you know, the the multiverse, or or they're dealing with the ramifications of Wandavision, and it is directly, um, you know, influencing Peter Parker's life, basically. And I think that could be interesting, but I mean. Uh, the Hollywood Reporter article that's that's citing, you know, Benedict Cumberbatch, you know, his Doctor Strange will be taking the place of of Robert Downey Jr.'s Iron Man and Nick Fury's uh, or Samuel L. Jackson's Nick Fury. Like th- this, this role has already been filled to some extent by Happy Hogan in Far From Home. Um, you know, and and if we're dealing with like supernatural otherworldly elements obviously he's going to need someone to like dr strange to mentor him through that but like also spider-man dealing so closely with supernatural elements it could be interesting but like for him to become a pseudo mentor to him seems strange like i don't i don't see that continuing into future films it makes no sense to me 
outside of literally doing the look they're in you know they're both here in the same place at the same time to like solve the problem i don't yeah. see i don't see the logic of trying to do multiverse and secrets exposed yeah at the same time i don't see the logic in doing both of those at the same time that to me falls under spider-man 3 territory of trying to jam too much in you know spider-man 3 x-men the last stand it feels like that realm of let's jam in as much stuff as we can into this one movie yeah um, well what what they're what you're insinuating whenever we, you include all of these characters and all of these um potential stories from you know jamie fox's electro you know whether or not it be the same one from amazing spider-man 2 you know, that implies things about there being, you know, a multiverse where people are similar or the same, you know, being J. Jonah Jameson looks, you know, it's still J.K. Simmons. It's still the same, the same actor. So mm -hmm. maybe these, these characters always look the same across these different multiverses. So now we're including the multiverse additionally with Doctor Strange. And we're also saying we're establishing a Sinister Six. And we're also saying that we're dealing with a secret identity crisis. Mm. But this you know, is, it, it's a lot to have in one but, film. But this is where, the, and this is where the theory falls apart. Why does, why does J. Jonas Jameson look the same in multiverses, but Spider-Man looks like three different guys entirely? Yeah. That are blatantly <laughs> not similar looking in any capacity. So. Well, it, they're all white. <laughs> Yes, but beyond that, they are not the same person. Yeah, so no, it just it, it it's too shaky for me. Um, yes. and that's that, I mean that's kind of the bottom line for me on it. But yeah, so yeah, I think we I think we pepped ourselves up a little bit after <laughs> talking about Joker. Um, what what do you guys have? For, for thoughts on Joker, let us know. Uh, hit us up on Twitter at Movies Work. Uh, let us, you know, email us, moviesafterwork at gmail.com if you have a lot, you know, more thoughts or you don't want people to be able to read your threats. Um, you know, we'll try to continue doing some, some of this interactive stuff for you guys helping uh, determine what the content looks like uh, on, the, on the show from here on out. Because uh, I thought it was kind of fun to have the, the poll and to see how it played out and see where people's votes went. But, you know, we'll see in the long run how it how that really works for us. But, um, yeah, do you have anything else that you want to add to us? Um, no, I mean, I just, uh, I'm excited for the last episode of The Boys, but, you know, it's... It, like we talked about, it's getting, it's getting a little hard to watch, but <laughs> I'm excited for the last episode. We'll we'll see where it, it goes. It, it was it was nice of them to remember that they you know killed off a good actress in the first episode, and that they really needed to follow through with that superpower existing. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> seriously, what a waste of a good actress. But um, yeah, well, with that, guys. Uh, for Movies After Work, I'm Thomas Green. I'm Alex Duas. Be safe, be kind, and have a good day at work. Thank you, guys. Bye-bye.